Without a Cause, and it was released in 1955, and it was, who was the distri- who was the distributor? Was it 20th Century Fox? Warner Brothers, yeah, they had a three-picture deal with That's James right. Dean. So is Giant also Warner Brothers then? It is, yeah, it is. Yeah, The only picture that he ever saw in a completed form was uh, East of Eden. He was killed in that auto wreck before these other two films were finished. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net. And we're on Patreon. Just search for Classic Movie Reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from... Ooh, it looks kind of gray out there in North Bend today. And we've got a visitor with us. I'm visiting... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who would that, who would a that be? A semi-regular guest, let's say. <laughs> I'm Haley Johnson, Matt's daughter. We're glad to have you join us, Haley, and hopefully your two cats will also appear. And this is Bob, Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, where the weather's fall-like, welcoming you all back to Classic Movie Reviews and Rebel Without a Cause, which I saw in the theater... Oh, probably at around Thanksgiving time in 1955. Well, you would have only been like 14 years old at that time, right? I was, uh, yeah, I was a freshman in high school. Oh, interesting. Do you remember seeing it in the theater? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I do. I do, because everybody, it was probably a theater packed with high school kids, because it was was all about high school kids. Uh, So, yeah, I do remember that. And um, one of the things I was going to mention before we started, is, um, and so I'll mention it now, um, all three of the lead people in this film uh, met with tragedies uh, that resulted in death. I, I, I didn't know if you had known that, but you know, Natalie Wood at age 43 died off the shore of Catalina Island. Sal Minio was stabbed to death in a robbery attempt when he was 37, and then James Dean was killed at the age of 24. I don't know what that has to do with anything other than I, I don't think that's, I think that's the only movie we've so far reviewed where the three lead characters met unhappy ends like that at such an early age. Yeah, that stabbing of Sal Minio was weird because at first they thought it was like some kind of stalker that was out to get him, but it turned out to be just some random guy that was going to mug him. Yeah, I read where it was a pizza delivery guy. Yeah, so weird. I don't know. If, those stories sometimes aren't exactly accurate, but I think that's pretty close. Um, the, the movie was hyped up a lot because the, the director, Nicholas Ray, had a reputation for making edgy kind of out-of-the-box movies. Um, he did a couple that are like that. One is In a Lonely Place with Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham from 1950, which is a really excellent movie about a really bad person. 
Humphrey Bogart's not a nice guy in that film. And in a, and then the lusty men about rodeo, the rodeo life with Susan Hayward. Remember Susan from Garden of Evil? Oh yeah. And Robert Mitchum about the rodeo life, and it's very realistic. What's I think, it called? The lusty the men. The lusty men from nineteen. 19- <laughs> 52, yeah, I know, <laughs> the title doesn't quite catch it, but Nicholas Ray was the director on those, so people thought, well, this is going to be that same same kind of film, and uh, so it was hugely popular, at least in my neck of the woods. That's kind of some background. Warner Brothers did the uh, film, and a lot of people are in there that uh, were character actors. Remember Mr. Magoo from television and movies? Cartoons. Yeah, that's funny because the that's the first thing I always think of when I see him. And there is <laughs> Jim a, Backus. Yeah, Jim Backus, and he plays the father. But there's a scene when they're going to that old uh, mansion and they're kind of walking towards that empty pool. And yes. James Dean says something in the Mr. Magoo voice, exactly. And James Backus taught James Dean how to do the Mr. Magoo voice. See, we really don't encourage them. They're so noisy and troublesome. Don't you agree? Oh, yes, yes. And so terribly annoying when they cry. Oh, yes, I don't know what to do when they cry. Do you, dear? Ah, Round them like puppies. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and remember him, remember him when he was Tyler Fitzgerald in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World? Oh, yeah, he was really good in he that. He was always having a drink in his hand. He was like a drunk billionaire, or millionaire of the time, right? Kind of like... Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then another character actor... William Hopper, he plays Natalie Wood's father. Not a nice man either. Okay, yeah, that uh, was a little weird. That was weird. His mother was a, a famous newspaper columnist, Hedda Hopper, who had 30 million readers of her daily columns in Whoa, the paper. Whoa, that's a lot. Wow. I know. And then She'd uh, be like a social media queen today <laughs> yeah oh yeah she would have she would have been uh all over the place and and, and mr hopper was on perry mason for oh he played the, the other run he, of the show he played like his perry he was the investigator. investigator yeah he's got great hair though i have to say he was paul drake he great hair and he was in over 100 films wow yeah his so relationship that... with his daughter was a bit strained oh. and odd the film, when it comes to the parents, and even when I saw it in 1955, I thought those parents are really nut jobs. Uh, putting it clinically, the one thing I thought about his parents, though, was that this was 1955, so it was about 10 years after the end of World War II, and I bet for sure that his dad had gone to fight in the war, and he might have been suffering from a lot of PTSD from that. Like he seemed like somebody who was suffering from PTSD. Yeah, that's right. I hadn't thought of that. that that's that very likely was the case and then the and then the mom the way she was reacting to it because nobody really knew what that was back then right like people didn't really know a lot about like mental health coming out of a war oh it had such endearing terms as shell-shocked that was one of the terms in the 50s i remember hearing he's back from world war ii or the korean conflict and he has he's uh, shell-shocked which was basically the the same kind of effect. So his character made more more sense to me if I thought about maybe some of his history, but they don't really give you any of that in the movie, no. so you're just kind of left to try to figure it out yourself. The thing that starts to happen in the 50s that has has been a positive is that there begins to be more diversity in the cast members. Not much, 
but it's at least a beginning. And Saul Minio was kind of one of the forerunners of that, uh, certainly not on the scale of a Sidney Poitier, but uh, he, had a, he had a very successful career as a child actor and a young adult. I didn't think the cast of Rebel Without a Cause was very diverse. No, it, it compared. No, you're right. It wasn't pretty much uh, middle middle income white folk. Yeah, he's about the only one that I can think of, unless I'm missing someone. Well, I, if you think about the diversity in a little bit different way, like they they give you subtle clues that he might be gay or that he is gay and that he's falling in love with James Dean character James Dean's character. And I read that before the filming of the movie, Sal Mineo and James Dean and Nicholas Ray all got together and said, okay, how can we subtly portray this character as being gay without actually like saying that he's gay? And Haley and I were talking afterwards because Haley had a little bit different take on it, I think, if I remember right. Yeah, I thought that he was more trying to replace James Dean's character as his own father because he was left by his parents. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that that rings true to me because he was basically on his own, wasn't he? I mean, he had a caregiver, but yeah. Well, I, I the, the reason I say it was the beginning of a change because in the, it, I, um, Dad and I were putting together a list of films that would involve people of color from the 40s and 50s, and you really have to search around to find them. I came up with 10, but it wasn't easy. And then when I looked at the 80s, it grew in 90s, and, and it's it's much more in play today. And then the movie that we're going to be watching soon, Giant, it, it comes forth in that a little bit more than, than this one. Um, and when I look back on it, that the arc of that's just been over like 100 years. Yeah. Of having more diversity in film? We're trying to get it diverse, and, and uh, it, it's taken so long, it's like painful to watch. It's painful to think about go, go looking back at it. You know, when we did um, Stagecoach or Grapes of Wrath, which were pre-World War II, uh, lynchings were very common, all kinds of bigotry, anti-Semitism, you name it. And boy, I tell you, it's a constant, it's a constant battle. But I, I, I've philosophized enough, sorry. <laughs> it's a lack of sleep, I think. Anyway, back to the movie. Well, it, yeah, it's funny because when I, I'd never seen this movie until maybe about six months ago when it was on and I just was like, had some free time, so I watched it. And then I, I had all these ex expectations about what this was going to be like and it was totally different than what I expected. And I had expected it to be a, a movie from the 80s, I guess, like one of those um, gang kind of warfare movies from the 80s. But it was really, it was almost, it was kind of sad in a way because all these kids, they seem so bored. And they just, the whole title, Rebel Without a Cause, makes a lot of sense to wait, the way they acted. They were just trying to find ways to keep themselves entertained, like that whole um, chicken run thing, going having the cars go off the cliff. And... Or just, just in general, kind of bugging other kids just to kind of keep themselves entertained. And it seems like they were kind of, all of them were really lost. And they didn't really have much in the way of support at home or even at school. Yeah, you know, I 
I agree with that. And when I watched it as a freshman in high school in my own world in Lewistown, Montana, and I was involved in football and sports and class and working at my dad's shop, and I, I, I had trouble sometimes connecting with the characters, the, the high schoolers. It was just, it would be the difference between Los Angeles and a little town in Montana. I was like, wow, I'm, some of that, some of that lost, generation kind of feel to it I, it I missed that I mean it went over my it either went over my head or I thought well that's not what I'm experiencing but then there were kids in my high school class that I found out later were experiencing that same sense of aimlessness in their life there's a there's a man that I saw at my reunion in August he, he grew up in a home with three other siblings and both of his parents were alcoholics and they fought physically, mentally, all the time. And he told me that one of the tranquil parts of his life was when he'd come to our house. And he lived he lived two blocks away, and his older brother was a friend of my brother, and I was a friend of this guy, because his life was so chaotic. So I, I guess, you know, I, I must have, I was either oblivious to this or very gifted and blessed that I didn't have to experience it. So anyway, I... I'm still ambivalent about whether it, the, that's the way it was. I I don't know. I mean, I think that just goes to the point of you, you never really know what's happening with them. So it's best just to try not to make assumptions about people. You know, I, I just felt sad for those kids more than anything else. And even the ones that were supposed to be sort of portrayed as the bad kids. You know, there was that scene where uh, this is right after that accident where the, the one leader kind of of the gang get, gets killed. He, he goes flying off the, the cliff because he can't get out of the car in time. Some of those kids get called in to talk to the police and then they're getting picked up by their parents and one of the dads says something about... Isn't that something the way they brought us in like that? Let go of me! Say, you want a good crack in the mouth? Oh, take it easy, Ed. The boy's on edge. Man, Come on. shouldn't talk to me that way. After all, I am his father. I bet a lot of these kids were in those situations where they were being abused or they didn't have good home lives. I'd be curious, Haley, what was your feeling about the characters in this film compared to today, which is always kind of hard to do, I think? I think kids are still really bored when they're in high school. I don't think that goes away. So in that sense, it's kind of, it's timely in that sense. Yeah, yeah where I could see some of that kind of stuff happening in North Bend. With James Dean, how would you compare and contrast his character in East of Eden and uh, Rebel Without a Cause? I thought that the characters were really similar in the sense that they were both really lost and didn't get what they needed from their parents. How about you, Matt? What did you, how did you see the two yeah, I was just looking at my, I do have some notes up, and James Dean's character's surname, Stark, is an anagram of Trask, which was the surname of his character in East of Eden. I thought the two, I thought the two stories were really, really similar, actually. In fact, I've, after watching East of Eden and then watching this one, I felt like this one was really derivative of East of Eden. Like, they had this big hit on their hands with East of Eden. They're like, how can we make another movie that's kind of like this, but maybe set in a modern setting, and with some of these same characters because he looked at his relationship with his father he couldn't get what he wanted from his father in either movie that relationship with the girlfriend where the girlfriend was really lost and and kind of attached herself to him 
as a result of some tragedy, right, that happened. So it was pretty similar in a lot of ways. But East of Eden was a superior movie, in my opinion. The characters were just much more real and the story was more fleshed out. What'd you think? I I, I agree with that. I, uh, with East of Eden, that's become one of my favorite films because of the way the characters are developed and there's so much to them. There, there's a lot going on with those characters, a lot of backstory. With Rebel Without a Cause, it was... It was just different. I, James Dean, I don't think... I think he was sort of on autopilot, if you will, <laughs> for some of the scenes. And I don't know if they rushed this into production to try to get it done before he did Giant or whatever it was. But, I mean, he's still charismatic when I see him on the screen. But when I compare that uh, scene where they're on the Ferris wheel in East of Eden... There's nothing like that in this film that that grabs me like that did. That and that was one of many. The story was also really rushed. It was all in the span of 2 days, so it was hard to get to know the characters and feel like they were more than one-dimensional. You say that you feel like he was kind of on autopilot, but I also read that he was a really big method actor and there was a there was one scene where before they started filming, he was just laying in the middle of the floor for like 45 minutes in an, in a fetal position. And then Nicholas Ray came in and said, okay, action. And he just like hopped up and then started acting. And he said after this movie that he, he would never put so much into a film again as he did in this one. It just took too much out of him. So I don't, so I don't know like if it was just that the story itself wasn't as deep, but I feel like he at least from what I was reading, like really put himself into it. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. I, I think part of it too is a lot of the other characters in the film were less realistic and believable to me. One that was believable was that police person that was sort of his, I don't know, social worker or I'm not quite sure what his title yeah, was. Yeah, they had like a juvenile yeah. juvenile division at the police the police. Uh, Station. I found that to be a fairly realistic depiction, but gosh, some of the other people, I don't know, it just... Maybe one of the best scenes was when they, when the police officer brought him into his office and had that talk with him, and and uh, James Dean was like beating up the desk. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. Scene? Oh, for sure. Yeah. last time because you're in trouble oh they think that they can protect me by moving around all the time you had a good start in the wrong direction back there why'd you do it what do you mean mess a kid up yeah called me chicken and your folks didn't understand I never do. They think that I can make friends. 
If we move, sit. Just move. Everything will be roses and sunshine. But you don't think that's the right solution? Oh, she eats him alive and he takes it. Things pretty rough for you at home? At the zoo. What? At the zoo. I mean, he, he always wants to be my pal, you know? But how can I give him anything if he's... I mean, I love him. And all that type of stuff, and I... I mean, I don't want to hurt him. But then I don't... I don't know what to do anymore, except maybe die. I mean, if, if he had guts to knock Mom cold once, then maybe she'd be happy and then she'd stop picking on him. Because they make mush out of him. You know, just mush. Now, I'll tell you one thing. I don't ever want to be like him. Chicken? I bet you see right through me, don't you? How can a guy grow up in a circus like that? Beats me, Jim. They do. Apparently, he really did hurt his hand doing that. Like, he was actually hitting the desk really hard. <laughs> you know, we, uh, Nancy and I went to a play a couple nights ago at the Gary Marshall Theater here, a small theater. We love it. And the actor was beating on his chest so hard, I thought, he's going to hurt himself. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a live theater. Wow. Anyway, yeah, no, I remember that scene, yeah. I but I thought that one was really powerful. And then the other one that I really liked was on the stairway when he's trying to get his parents to, like, wake up. You don't want me to go. No. No, I don't want you to go to the police. There were other people. Why should you be the only one involved? But I am involved. We are all involved. Mom, a boy, a kid was killed tonight. I don't see how I can get out of that by pretending that it didn't happen. Well, you know that you did the wrong thing. That's the main thing, isn't That's it? That's nothing. That's... That is absolutely nothing. Dad, you told me. You said you, you want me to tell the truth. Now, didn't you say that? You can't turn it off. Well, he's not saying that. He's saying just don't volunteer. Just tell a little white lie. You'll learn when you're older, Jim. Well, I don't think that I want to learn that way. Well, it doesn't matter anyway because we're moving. I'm not tearing me loose again. Well, this is news to me. Just why are we moving? Oh, do I have to spell you it out? You are not going to use me as an excuse again. I don't. Every time you can't face yourself, you blame it on me. That is not true. You say it's because of me. You say it's because of the neighborhood. No. You use every other phony excuse. Mom, I just once, I want to do something right. And I don't want you to run away from me again. Dad, this is all going too fast you for me, You better give son. me something. You better give me something fast. Jimmy, you're because very young. I'm... A foolish decision now could wreck your whole life. In ten years, you'll never know this even happened. Dad, answer her. Tell her. Ten years. Dad, let me hear you answer her. Yeah. 
Dad, stand up for me. station to tell them what had happened because he just didn't want to be lying about stuff and he didn't want to just be covering stuff up and they're trying to get him to not do that because they're afraid of what the repercussions of it would be yeah that was a great scene i thought really well acted i i don't mean to say that he wasn't really effective in the role it's just that the role was what it was and the way they made the film i think they made the film in pretty quick time and uh I'm probably not being fair when I keep comparing him to the actor in East of Eden. Yeah, I was reading that there's I have a bunch of trivia stuff if you want to do like a couple minutes of trivia. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. Oh, here we go. So the film was selected into the National Film Registry in 1990 for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I knew you'd like that one. <laughs> I, yeah, that we've had several like that and most of them I agree with. This one um <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd have to think about whether I'd vote for that or uh, not. Dennis Hopper, who this was his first big screen role, was considered for the role of Plato instead of Salminio. That would have been interesting. Yeah, he's pretty. Uh, he's pretty subdued in this film compared to some yeah. of his later roles. In his real life, he had some real tragic things he did, which I don't think I want to go into because they're it's kind of morbid. Well, let's keep going with trivia here. It was, yeah, that's it's, it's among the American Film Institute's 1998 list of the top 100 greatest American movies. What do you think about that? <laughs> uh, I guess I don't know if I would agree with that. It would have to, it would have to depend on whether Anatomy of a Murder, Grapes of Wrath, Wizard of Oz, and others were on that list too, and and mostly East of Eden. I mean, I don't I don't know the list, but. Man, the top 100? Well, that's a heady out of the millions yeah. of films that have been made. Here, here comes Paul Newman again. He was considered for the role of Jim <laughs> yeah. Stark. I, I, had, I had this <laughs> image at Warner Brothers at the entrance, the two of them running into each other all the time saying, oh, God, not you again. You're doing the same, the same uh, tryout for the, for the role. <laughs> he, he probably was on the same list for Giant to play the role in that. Probably. Yeah, but they were good friends in real life. I was oh, that right? I was reading. Oh, okay. Yeah, or they knew. Yeah, you know, they weren't. They weren't like super rivals or anything. Well, like that, that makes sense um, because Paul Newman loved race car driving and actually drove in races. Yeah. And James King, uh, James King. <laughs> yes, way to go, Bob. <laughs> and not enough sleep. James Dean loved uh, racing cars. In fact, that's how he ended his life. Ended. Paul Newman. Yeah. Yeah, in 2007, the movie's line, You're Tearing Me Apart, which was on one of those scenes on the stairway that I talked about, was voted as the number 97 of the 100 greatest movie lines by Premier Magazine. <laughs> uh, on that one, I'd say maybe, maybe. I think he's got a couple yeah. of lines you're going to see in Giant that are every bit as good. 
if not better. But anyway, I, I'm sort of batting um, about 500 on my agreement. Here's, here's, here's one that gets into the, like, ew, gross category. Dennis Hopper and Natalie Wood had a brief relationship during filming. Okay, that's cool. They're about the same age, right? But then Wood also had an affair with Nicholas Ray, which was scandalous due to the fact that she was only 16 and he was 43, older than her father. Oh, that, that, that's uh, disgusting. Yeah. It was revealed later in 2005 that Nicholas Ray also had an affair with Salminio. Okay. Wow. This is what... So... I was going to say, did they have time to make any uh, film, put it on film? <laughs> they were quite a busy group. Jeez. I tell you, I feel like we're, we've, we've gone into the philosophical drudge tank. <laughs> <laughs> not, not all the way at the bottom no, of the drudge no. tank. I wonder if there's any connection between any of these people and Bella Lagosa. We could tie it into Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh my gosh, now you're going to get me looking on the internet for stuff. All right, well, maybe back on point here. Um, Natalie Wood, she she was nominated for three Academy Awards, uh, and uh, Miracle on 34th Street is one of my favorite movies. She's in that, and uh, she did a lot of films. I'm just looking here. In her short life, I think she did like 60, 50, 60 films very very uh engaged in the in the industry and Salminio one of the movies we haven't talked about doing is Exodus which is about the establishment of the state of Israel and uh he was nominated for his role in that he was excellent he was excellent in that he was a concentration camp survivor and I've always liked his uh the roles he's been in and again, he died way he was, too early. I guess he was pretty multi-talented too, because he was he was a recording artist. Yes, that had some popular songs. He did. And I can't remember the name. Hung names, out with a lot right? of those. Hung out a lot of, with a lot of other famous people. So yeah, he was well connected and well liked. And but when I saw him the first time, he really reminded me of the uh, actor that played Karate Kid, Ralph Macchio. Oh, he looks like okay. he could be related to him. Yeah. I hadn't made that connection. Yeah, okay. Okay. So Haley, what what uh what have we missed, do you think? A lot, what, probably a lot of things, but Have we talked about the ending, the tragic ending of the movie? I was saying that if this were a movie made in 2019, he would have a different kind of gun and it would have been a lot more tragic of a situation than him just harming one person with the gun he stole from his mom. Oh, and also you said that he could have killed three people that night, but yeah. he was just lucky that he didn't. Yeah. Because he took a shot at J J James Dean character. He took a shot at a police officer and wounded him. And then he shot at somebody else too, I forget. Yeah, the ending also, um, I don't know. Th there were a lot of endings in the 40s and 50s, 1930s even, where everything sort of wraps up in a nice little ribbon around it where James Dean... Looks like he's going to reconcile with his mom and dad and all. And I'm, I, I, I had a little trouble with that because all the stuff that had gone on prior to that, it, it just seemed a little too neat. And I imagine Warner Brothers or the director decided they'd better put a nice bow on it. What do you, do you guys? Did, what did you think of that ending? In that respect, 
I thought it was a little bit drawn out. I think they could have cut about 10 minutes out of that whole last scene where they're just sort of like going through this old observatory, you know, the observatory. Um, I thought it was a little bit predictable, like somebody was going to get killed at the end, I felt like. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it wasn't like one of the greatest movie endings ever, but it was okay. Um, but we, we never really talked about Salmenio's character the very, very first thing that we learn about him is that he's at the police station for killing some puppies with that pistol. Yeah. I, oh, that's right. We. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. Do you have any idea why you shot those puppies, John? Is that what they call you, or do you have a nickname? Plato. He was a Greek philosopher. His... You talk nice to the man now, here. He's going to help you. Nobody can help me. Can you tell me why you killed those puppies, Plato? No, sir. Where'd you get the gun? My mother's drawer. Well, where's your mother tonight, Plato? She's away. Seems like she's always going away somewhere. She's got a sister in Chicago, and she's gone there for the holiday. Well, where's your father? Well, they're not together, sir. We haven't seen him now in a long time. You ever hear from him, son? I don't think it's right for a mother to go away and leave her child on his birthday. It's his birthday today, sir. Do you know if the boy ever talked to a psychiatrist? Oh. You mean a head shrinker? Oh, uh, Mrs. Crawford don't believe in them, sir. Well, maybe she'd better start. Will you sit over there for just and, a minute? And that was a WTF moment for me. It was like... Okay, because that's like a psychopath, like serial killer kind of thing that, yeah. that that they're, you know, a lot of those people that have gone on to be serial killers have started off by killing small animals. And that's exactly what he's described doing. Yeah, so it was it was just a really weird spin on his character that just kind of left me wondering throughout the whole movie, like, what would have happened to him if he hadn't been killed at the observatory? Like, what kind of a, an adult would he have turned out to be? Well, that's a good that's a good catch. You know, when, when I was a freshman in high school and they talked about that, that didn't register with me at all like it would today when there's so much more research on what happens with some of these serial killer people and how they got started. And I'd, I'd actually forgotten about it even for today. Do you remember when we reviewed uh, the movie with Damien? Um, oh, yes, um, yeah. Oh, the, what was the name of that? The Omen. Omen, The Omen, the Omen yeah. yeah. And and how there's two ways you could watch that movie. There was one way where you, you think that he's just a normal kid, but all these adults are kind of crazy and they think he's the son of the devil. And then there's the way that you can watch it where, you know, he really is the son of the devil and he's causing all this crazy stuff to happen. I think there's two ways you could watch this movie. One is sort of like it's a coming-of-age, teenage, you know, rebel movie and they're they're have all these problems as teenagers and then there's another way you could watch it where it was like oh my god they almost this kid almost like grew up to be this uh, serial killer and it's just fortunate almost in a way that these events happened and he died at the end <laughs> which <laughs> that's true just think yeah 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 that's that that was really a, a sick thing that he did when he was in the police station that yeah uh, i i uh, well, not only that, but he was stalking James Dean's character. Yeah. He had a he kept the pistol under his bed, under the pillow. He 
clearly had totally kind of lost it there at the end when they were at the mansion and uh, those kids came out to kind of rough him up. Um, definitely like threw him over the edge at that point in terms of not being mentally stable. So that's my take on it. I think that it takes on a whole other dimension if you just think of it, it uh, is a movie about him. Like he's the main central like plot point of the whole thing. Imagine what that would be like if it were remade today with that kind of a theme. I could see that being it made. It could be like a real psychological thriller. Yeah, yeah. oh, in the, in the hands of a really good crew. One of the takeaways I have on the film is it, it's like they all wanted to make this statement about teenagers that were drifting kind of aimlessly and also bad parenting. And it it never quite connects in the way that I would have thought it might have as I look at it now 60 years after my freshman year in high school. So I don't know. The world has changed so much in that time too. It's amazing. It leaves a lot to the imagination because when I watched it, I felt like his life wasn't really that bad. Like, yeah, his parents were kind of disconnected and they probably fought a lot, but they had money. They had a nice place to live. They had like food on the table. They had clothes, nice clothes that they could wear. Not saying that like all those physical amenities are going to make your life good, but at the same time, they also weren't like, like you said, I don't think they were raging alcoholics or physically abusing him or so there was an element of the movie to me where it was like almost wish that they had dialed it up a little bit more on like how his life wasn't very uh, put together and how he really was like drifting and and maybe that's kind of the point though then as I started thinking about it that maybe it doesn't have to be that bad for you to feel like you're sort of lost and drifting right like there's a lot of other things that are going on in your life and and maybe just inside yourself that make you feel like that so I don't know it's interesting it got me really thinking about like the whole point of the movie in a way there's a movie from 1995 that Spike Lee did called Clockers and it takes place in New York City in public housing now that if you want to see a realistic picture about that whole lifestyle that's one that really for me hits home this one sort of hits home kind of yeah and I, in 1955, I imagine the people that were financing it were also saying, okay, we got to walk a fine line between making this picture kind of a meaningful statement of what's going on, but we also want to make sure that we don't offend everybody. Yeah, I was reading about that because the, um, the production code was still very much in force and forbade any mention yes. of homosexuality. But in, in it also, yeah. I'm sure, like forbade like too much of a portrayal of violence or too much of a portrayal of like domestic abuse they were trying to say something about that life and the life that he was leading but they could only do it within certain guardrails that i think really blunted the effect of the movie but it's interesting because in east of eden i felt like it they were able to get that point across more effectively that may something they may say something about the screenwriting and the direction too terms of how they can pull that off because I've seen a couple of movies from the late 40s that one is called Crossfire which is about anti-semitism and it or Gentleman's Agreement they make their point and that was one that we reviewed so given in the right circumstances I think they could make more of a strong statement about it I 
I think they wanted to really make sure that James Dean became the number one box office star in the in the world. Actually, well, don't, so yeah, that that stuff that I I think we talked about that too it was like it was just a vehicle for James Dean really because he came right out of East of Eden. And that movie was super popular, and then the 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 studio was like, "Oh my gosh, we have a superstar in our hand here with James Dean. We got to make another movie really quick." And it goes to show you how quickly they put it out. If James Dean did another movie after this one, and he still didn't get to see this one in its final form, like Rebel Without a Cause, so they were really cranking these out quickly. Yeah, they they made these three movies in about eighteen months. His career was really short. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would love to have been able to watch him as he matured and, and grew, and there's so many films. And he and Paul Newman could have been probably competing for the same roles throughout their career. Or they could have been in a really cool buddy movie. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be something? Yeah. But yeah, there's a picture that I found of his car that was in that wreck, and yeah, it's, it's clearly not survivable. Man, that's it sad. Was- it was yeah. a small car anyway, I think. What did everybody think in terms of a rating for our film? See, we gave East of Eden a 10. Yeah, I thought East of Eden was really good. I would watch it over and over again, but Rebel Without a Cause, I would probably give a 7. I didn't think the story, as you were saying, it w- could have been really deep, but wasn't portrayed in the best way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I would watch it again. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I think a seven is is good because it's kind of right between a five and a ten. Um, there was a couple scenes, like I mentioned, the one on the stairwell, the one in the police officer's office that I really, really liked and kind of stand out to me, and I'll remember those scenes. Um, but other than that, a lot of it was forgettable to me. Yeah, I'm the same way. And interesting, I, I would give the movie a six. Um and it may be just because it's so overshadowed by East of Eden. Interestingly enough, before we decided we would do his three films, I always thought of Rebel Without a Cause as a better film than East of Eden because I'd only seen East of Eden once in college, and I'd seen Rebel Without a Cause maybe three or four times. And once I saw them, I flipped completely on on which one I, I, I thought was the better main. Well, before we started doing this, I, I really only knew of Rebel Without a Cause, and I just feel like he's so associated with this movie, and that iconic red jacket, and the white t-shirt, and the blue jeans, I mean, there's posters of that, there's like t-shirts of that, it's everywhere. Imagine how that would be marketed today, in terms of clothing for people. Well, I think he would, have been a like a, he would have been a trendsetter in fashion. Yeah, sure. oh yeah. yeah. Well, when you, when you uh, watch Giant... Be be ready for another roller coaster ride with his character. <laughs> it's it. So we come in for a six and two sevens. Yeah, that's that's kind of in the lower. It's like in the top quartile, but maybe the lower end of that. It's it's definitely on the lower end of the movies that we've watched. I would say it's not at the bottom. It's not orgy of the dead. Oh no, gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's our that's our starting point. You can only everything, go up from everything there. can go up from there. Yeah. So I wanted to be sure to thank Haley for joining us, and I would really love to invite you, Haley, to join us whenever, every time or whenever you can make it, because whenever you are on the podcast, for me, you bring a fresh perspective uh, that I really enjoy hearing. And so I, I hope that you can join us for many more 
for the next 500 films that we're planning to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching the movies with my dad. Isn't it wonderful? Nancy yeah. and I are, are watching. In fact, <laughs> one just came from Netflix. We're going to be watching Little Shop of Horrors from 1960. <laughs> <laughs> that ought to be an experience. Um, I would second what you said. It's awesome to watch movies with Haley and have her on the podcast. So so, so join us as, as frequently as you can. Did, did Luna and Sage join you today? For a moment. Luna came in and then she was like, oh, you guys aren't paying attention to me. <laughs> I'm going to go bug Daisy. <laughs> it's something to do. So um, maybe we should talk a little bit about upcoming films. I put together that list of 18. We should say for the next two podcasts, we have the Twilight Zone special episode for our patrons at Tier 3. And that's where I'm going to go watch three hours of the Twilight Zone in the theater. So that should be fun and I hope they have an intermission. <laughs> and then... Boy, that's a... Yeah, no kidding. That's a schlog. And then after that, I think we're doing... Oh, man. Well, look, well I've got it right in front of okay. me. We've got we've got Twilight Zone as episode 133 for Patreon. Then we do Giant as our next one, and that's uh, for the public. And then uh, we've got a bonus show, Christmas Carol... That's for patron. And that's, and that's from, the Christmas Carol from 1951, which many consider the best of the Christmas Carol movies. And then uh, we've got four to be determined, beginning with our December podcast. And that's what prompted me to put together that list that I sent you. And I came up with 10 movies involving people of color, four movies that are holiday Christmas movies, and four musical-themed movies. So we, we've we got our yeah, work cut think, out to figure out where we want to I go. I think because of the recording and the release schedule, we could do one more holiday movie. And, and somebody on Facebook today suggested Christmas in Connecticut as a possibility. Yeah, that was one of the ones with Barbara Stanwyck. And I forgot that we had Christmas Carol already booked. So Then I think we should do the four movies of uh, people of color or black actors, um, and then go into the musicals. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll send that to you, Haley, because what I did was I put together the list and then I put a priority number on them from what I would recommend. And there's some really good, like uh, In the Heat of the Night, Murder in Harlem, Bridge to the Sun, Farewell to Manzanar. There's a lot of fil film there. I mean, it's just, we have to be aware too that some of those people of color films from before 1980 may be difficult for us or listeners to find. Yeah, we have to do a little bit of research because we've got to be able to actually get our hands on a movie without yeah. spending like 50 bucks for a used DVD or something. If you want a, if you want a, a nice read on a film that uh, was made in South America, Black Orpheus, which is like a Greek tragedy, it reads like that would be a wonderful movie to include in the People of Color uh, reviews. But I'm not sure that we can find it. Okay. Well, we'll we'll, we'll look around and we'll we'll do we'll do some work on that. that yeah. So thanks again, Haley. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that was our review of Rebel Without a Cause, and coming to you from North Bend. This is Matt. This is Haley. Uh, and uh, Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, wishing you all happy movie watching. <laughs> 
And and the dogs. <laughs> that's yeah, right on Daisy cue. wanted to be in the right podcast, That's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> Dad. This is Judy. She's my friend. He's... Uh, 